We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we've been reviewing uh, this week a lot of the guys that we had have coming back. We had a pod on Austin a couple of pods ago. We had a discussion on Stanley, but also Stanley in context with uh, Juan Toscano Anderson yesterday. And today we're going to talk about two of our guards who I think are in a very interesting position and just have a basic core question about their future with the team. D, set the stage for us today. Yeah. So we also talked about Russell Westbrook the other day, Pete, and mm-hmm. the idea of like what's going to happen with him via trade or coming back. We don't have to rehash that discussion now. You can go back and listen to that episode. I think we had a nice spirited debate there. Um, (laughs) But there's two other guys who are more under the radar who I think, Mike, their names have also popped up in potential trade rumors or they've just sort of been hinted as being out there and available. And I'm wondering whether or not that's real or not. I'm looking at them as next season, what their potential role would be and if they are here and then also what their potential role would be and then forecasting out whether or not that actually does make them as more viable to be traded or not. Because the roster construction now isn't necessarily what the roster construction is going to be moving forward. But in THT and Kendrick Nunn, you've got two players who last season were projected to be key rotation players. Now, we all know what happened to Nunn. He didn't play at all. He played in the preseason, and then a bone bruise basically just destroyed his season, and he never returned from that. THT did play last season. He had, I think he had a bout with COVID. He also had um, a couple of injury issues, and he had a pretty up-and-down season, and I think... um, Around the fan base, at least, I think he probably lost a lot of equity within the fan base in terms of projecting what his role could be moving forward, particularly after the financial investment the team made in him, which was not necessarily huge, but it was like a basically full mid-level exception type of money for THT. And so 
when we're looking at the roster, those two guys, if they're here, would project to be, again, I think key rotation players. None is a quality backup guard. He played that role for the Heat en route to an NBA Finals trip, right? And THT, I think still he's... Mike, how old is THT? Is he 21 yet? I feel like he's been 20 forever, but like, <laughs> he's 21. Yeah. 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 It's November. I think it's November birthday. So he's about to enter his age 21 season. And that's typically around the age where guys do actually start to make a leap. Now, you would think that maybe would have happened already for a third year guy, but he came into the league relatively young. So I wanted to talk about these guys and what their role potentially would be. And Honestly, whether or not they're long for this Lakers team that is still looking to find the best version of themselves and build out the strongest roster possible. So where are you kind of at, Mike, with both of these guys? Well, we got to hear from none for the first time in a long time because Chris McGee, our buddy over at Spectrum, sat down with him for a couple of minutes at the team facility the other day. And I just retweeted the link if you wanted to see it in none's words. But his the, the summary of it is that he said he feels 100%. He feels great. He feels the best that he's felt since the bubble. But he also hasn't played full five on five, you know, up and down with the with the full squad yet. And so, all right, you know, it, it's he still has August and September, right, to get those full runs in. And I don't know when that's going to come. Uh, they didn't get specifically into that. But it's I would just hope that he has a chance to get a bunch of those runs in before training camp, right? So that it's not like you get to camp and then, oh yeah, he's feeling great, but he hasn't done, he has, he's not practicing in full with the team yet. And because because if we get to camp and it is, oh, day one, yep, he's good to go. He was with the second unit, you know, coming in, oh, we look great in the first scrimmage. That to me tells you something very important as in contrast to, uh, you know, let's kind of wait and see how he feels later in camp. So that's the first thing that I'm watching out for. In terms of, he and THT, it gets back into this thing that Pete brought up the other day is that, well, not all of these guards, especially the ones that are a little bit similar in skill set, can play and can be out there in the rotation. And while THT, you still like at age 21, you still like the physical tools that he has. And, and I think the upside in that for what this roster is, I think none is the better fit to play alongside a LeBron and an AD base team. And a lot of that, of course, is because of the shooting and the off-ball spacing and even some of the, you know, playmaking chops, you know, that he might have from the weak side. So I'll get to THG more further, but first let's hear from Pete uh, as to these two. To focus on none as well, I speak from a place of ignorance on this, right, because I don't have any expertise on the health side of things. But it's been long enough for me in terms of him dealing with this injury and still not at that like running five on five type of point where I consider anything that none contributes to be found money. Right. Like I, I, I don't feel like depending on him physically is something that I felt like we got a little burned by that last year. And, and hopefully that he's fine and he's ready for the season and all of that. If he's able to play super useful, especially uh, I'd prefer him with the second unit. I think I think next to Russ last year, he would have fit very well with the starters, but he's very much more of a bench guard. D, before uh, yesterday's pod or after yesterday's pod, we were talking about guards and the types that we have, right? Yes. The kind of guard that can get their own versus the kind of guard that can create opportunities for others. None is more of a get your own type of guy, but he's really good at it, man. He's a three-level scorer. I was, I've been watching some Lonnie Walker tape, and we'll do a pod on him coming up as well. 
So having those types of three-level scores, we got a couple more of them on this year's team, and none would be able to provide that. But it's just at a point for me, D, where that along with the are they going to be with the team later, they're the tradable guys. They're the guys that aren't making vet minimum contracts. Yeah. If you want to make a trade, you need salary in order to execute a legal one unless the other team you're trading with just has a ton of cap space. There are a couple of teams that fit that description, so it's possible. But of course, their names would be in any trade discussion that we're talking. It's just a matter of putting two and two together. And so when I think about the glut of guards that we have, the notion that we're not done building the roster and the fact that you have to include salary in a trade. So if you put those factors together, then it just seems like A plus B equals C. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I want to stay on none because when we were talking yesterday after the pod, Pete, personally, me, this is just my opinion. And we saw so little of none with the Lakers and we saw so little of him playing with like an actual version of the team because he only played during the preseason. And if you rewind 10 months ago or whatever, when the Lakers were playing preseason games, they were one of the least serious preseason teams that I can recall for a team that had any expectations to do something in the postseason. Like I just contrasted Mike to like what the 2019-20 team looked like during the preseason and how seriously they took it and then that was those like early if you go back in hindsight those were the red flags about this Lakers team they were happening during the preseason almost in a very similar way to the Steve Nash Dwight Howard Mm -hmm. Kobe and Gasol Lakers where it's just like ah yeah we're implementing a new offense there's all these new schemes here's Eddie Jordan we're gonna run the Princeton offense but yeah we're not playing any of the guys. It's just like, wait, well, how's how's that work? Everything's supposed to be new. You're supposed to be taking it serious. Like, how are you going to actually get the reps that you need? And so that was the last time we saw none. An unserious Lakers team playing unserious preseason basketball. The It's going to take time, but I guess we're pushing. We're kicking the can down the road. All this stuff. It's, it's just frustrating even rehashing it right now. Right. But. I wasn't super impressed by the way that Nunn was playing, even within that context. I thought he was hunting his own shot a little bit too much. His shot wasn't necessarily going in at the rate that I would like. He was taking like early clock pull up threes in transition. I was just like, huh? Okay. I wonder if this is what it's going to be, because if this because if and that's a big if if this is what it's going to be, I'm not sure I'm feeling this. Right. Like I would prefer to see something a little bit different, maybe getting to the rim a little bit more, maybe getting into the mid range and looking to take a few of those pull up jumpers that are a little bit closer to the basket. So let's go to break here because I do want to dissect Nunn's game a little bit more and place it within the context of LeBron and AD, because I still think that there are questions there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So am I being too hard on none? Guys, like from a three or a four game sample from preseason games where no one cared because uh, like I think I might be maybe. Well, based on that, yes. If that's the basis of it, yes. First of all, I just appreciate a toss to oneself like Darius just did around the break. Just I mean, off the backboard, yeah. You know, McGrady. That is a it's like McGrady class. the All Star. Hey, <laughs> McGrady the All Star game, Mike. Oh man, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pete. Ah, uh, no, no, no. So yeah, on the basis of like four preseason games on an unserious team that was bad. Uh, it, one of the things too is like he played most of those minutes alongside THT, and so THT is that same type of guard that is going to look to get his own. And really, it's just one of like. It's one of dozens of things that we did wrong last year where it's like, if you have one of those guards, those guards do have value in this league. The ability to get their own bucket. None is a three level scorer in a way that he's not a great three point shooter, but he's okay. And he's really good in the mid range. I have (laughs) I have a Kendrick Nunn highlight video from those four preseason games on my desktop that I'll send to people sometimes is just like curse highlight video, just, you know, random text to somebody. And it's Kendrick Nunn in the preseason. And a lot of those are like floaters and like little shots in between that when we talk about that skill guard so much on here, D, that's the compliment to LeBron and AD. Now, is he a high level one? No, but he's pretty good at that and having being able to score on all three levels. And so that skill guard was absent on the team last year aside from a guy like Malik Monk. And there's a reason why Malik Monk really thrived is because he provided something that really complemented LeBron and AD. And so that to me is the uh, actualized version of Kendrick Nunn with the Lakers, a a skill guard alongside of LeBron and AD, not next to another guy who's trying to get his own bucket, another guard that fits that description in, you know, bench units that, that are not particularly cohesive, that don't have good defenders in the front court. You know, like he's a very specific piece. I think I'm somewhere in between what sounds like relatively low expectations for both of you uh, there where where Pete, you said you're not really counting on him coming back in the sense that you're going to consider it a bonus. I'm not there just because he knows how important this is for his career. Like he ha- he has to get back on the court healthy. And I think that's what the, f- the whole focus has been. And so I do. I am. I am assuming that he's going to have his health and that he's going to be on the court early in the season. So that's that's the one thing. But the second thing is, and this is when the Lakers acquired him in the first place, you always worry a little bit about the good teams and the teams that like the Miamis that, or in, this could be, you could kick this can down the road to San Antonio and Lonnie Walker as well, who've got these young guys who have some really good moments, but are not, they don't fight to retain that type of player. And, and so what, so why, right? What is that? And the last games that none played for Miami was the first round series they had against Milwaukee. And this now would be the 2021 playoffs. So when, of course, when the Lakers were playing against the Suns and he struggled. Now he did, he basically was out there and 
just looking for his shot and did did very little else uh, in terms of whether it's rebounding or assists or defense or getting to the free throw line. He was just he was just kind of going out there and shooting, you know, and in the four games in 23 minutes, which is a decent run, there was just 10 points on 40 percent from the field, 28 percent from three. Now, small sample size, but that was the last look that Miami had, you know, where he was he was more productive in the bubble um, than that. And and then in contrast, he actually closed the season from for Miami pretty strong. Um, he had some really nice games in uh, in May. And remember, this calendar was like was pushed way back um, still from the bubble and starting against the next season. But and so his post All Star game splits are actually like pretty good. So you know, I've from the start when the when the Lakers got him, uh, I just I, I wasn't seeing this as a. I thought it was a. I thought it was a good kind of in the way of Walker, like, hey, got some talent, get him in here, see how he fits, but temper the expectations some based on the other team not wanting to let some young talent go away. And the unfortunate part, Pete, is that you have to pull up clips from a long time ago, and maybe this is part of what you were getting at in terms of, like, you need to see it on the court and first, that to, where it almost seems irrelevant right, to look at some of those clips based on how long ago they were, the different setting, the different teammates, and and sort of what he's going to be able to do for the Lakers now. So, Mike, just a quick note. I differentiate um, Nunn leave, leaving the Heat from Walker leaving the Spurs from the perspective of the Heat were going to be up against a hard cap based off of the signing trade they were going to execute for Kyle Lowry. And they could, plays Nunn's same position. Yes, but even beyond that, right, because Nunn could have easily backed up Lowry in the role that Gabe Benton has played. And they have Hero, who's on the ball a lot off the bench. Yeah. Yes. But in letting Nunn go, the reason why they had to pull Nunn's qualifying offer was because his qualifying offer in and of itself would have pushed the heat over the hard cap. And so technically, they would have had to have negotiated a lower deal with him than what his qualifying offer was for. So if... None were to simply go and say, I'm executing my qualifying offer and I'm going to stay with you guys next season. They wouldn't have been able to execute the Kyle Lowry trade because they would have it would have pushed them over the hard cap. So they had to waive him or they had to relinquish his rights, which made him an unrestricted free agent. It was a technicality. I'm not saying they would have kept him anyway, but. It really was a technicality. Like they had to make him an unrestricted free agent, whereas the Spurs, they just kind of were just like, ah. Eh. Like Lonnie sure. Walker, I also go think ahead there's and a certain thing. degree we have other of players we in like Miami, more than they made a choice like to go develop. toward like athletic, defensive minded bench guards. And so I think of like uh, Vincent and Struess and their emergent emergence this season. And they kind of went away from skill guards in that perspective. And I think that they saw some of the price for that. Remember in the Eastern Conference Conference Finals, Boston was in drop coverages and their guards weren't able, Miami's guards weren't able to hit pull-ups, right? And so that that mid-range, that ability to shoot a pull-up jumper, I think is an important skill. But to Mike's point about like the playoff rotation and the last time that Miami saw none, Mike, this is one of the reasons why I think that you're like, give me guys who are DN3 players is really it has such staying power in the playoffs in particular because if a guy like Nunn isn't scoring then what is he providing you and as the game gets more difficult as the games get higher and higher level it gets harder and harder to score for everybody right so it becomes a question of like what else do you do and that's something that I think we have kind of a blind spot for with our guards like 
I don't think we need both a Kendrick Nunn and a Lonnie Walker. You know what I mean? Like, I think we need one guy who can kind of do that, but everybody else needs to be able to defend at a high enough level where none's okay uh, uh, as a defender. But I don't know. There's just like a lack of size or contributing in other areas that I think that when you look across the roster, if you have too many guys like that, you're re- really well, going to suffer in the playoffs. Well, this was to your guys' conversation in, in the pod that I missed yesterday where who's going to close the game, right? Who can stay on the floor then if and who can scale up defensively? And who are you picking out of that out of that group? And and that's where maybe we could pull THT in THT, you know, mm-hmm. and because he at least he could maybe hang a little bit more defensively. But then you're still you're essentially asking him to then be like a three and D guy again in closing type lineups, because what THT does really well is have the ball and get into the paint and create. And so th- this is where I kind of almost enter Troy Brown into the conversation, because he was somebody that actually did do the three and D role. Uh, and did it decently. It happened to be off the bench for the Bulls in limited minutes. But he that that's something where I'm curious to see um, if he can emerge into that spot. That, not to enter. Uh, Riggs, think so too, buddy. Uh, enter that into the conversation uh, as well as we as we try to figure out what the point is of all of this. Let's go to break and uh, talk some THT on the other side. So, on the defensive end, Talon is the one guy of this group that has like, so Austin's a, a very solid defender uh, amongst our guards, but I consider him more of a generalist on both ends of the ball. He's pretty good at several things. He's okay, right? Not elite at anything defensively, but he's, he's good at several different jobs. THT is a little bit different in that I see him having a great deal of potential on the ball. And I think that he even showed a lot of that ability. Whereas off of the ball, he has some aware, he makes some awareness mistakes. He makes some misreads, but he still has those physical tools. D he's, you know, big, long arms, moves his feet. Well, had some great wins against uh, some pretty good ball handlers over the course of this season, had some really nice games defensively against some higher end players that you just need a certain level of tools to be able to compete at that level in one on one type of play that that's the one thing now, though, that, uh, that that's. That's how I consider THT as a prospect now is more on the defensive end. And maybe you can be a bench guard. But that's the thing what, that Mike's talking about on this team with the LeBron and AD. Like there's no version of the closing lineup where it's like, oh, we give the ball to, to Talon for three out of four possessions down the stretch, which relegates him to kind of that three and D type of role, which plays into his weaknesses. So what say you about this kind of conundrum with, with THT? So I agree with his defensive potential. He's got a sturdy frame which I think is super important for defense in general. He has the ability to play low to the ground, which then takes away angles in ways that like are hard to make up unless you're going to then go over the top of him. Now, some guys, if he has to scale up too far defensively or guys who are excellent pull-up shooters, they will go over the top of him. And that's just the nature of some of THT's physical limitations and that he's not a great leaper and he's not tall, even though he has excellent length where I'm still where I haven't sold all of my THT stock offensively is I agree on fundamentally on a team with LeBron and AD, you're not going to then pick out THT and say, you're going to get the ball. But I will say this, In a league where being able to get to spots on the floor or get a shot up is still one of the number one skills you could have. 
THT is still showing a growing ability, in my estimation, of doing those things. He is still an elite driver. Right now, the finishing part is still a questionable thing. He has some craft around the basket. I think he needs to develop more craft and more shot versatility once he's within six feet. We've talked about a floater or a pull up jumper. He's developed that little jump stop and then reverse Mm -hmm. pivot and fadeaway jumper. That's a quality look for a player like him. But I do think that if your fourth best defender is guarding Taylor Horton Tucker, then there will be late game possessions if he is on the court where it's just like he's actually got the best matchup, right? Now, that doesn't mean he's going to start the possession with the ball in his hands, but he could definitely finish a possession with the ball in his hands more frequently than I think the setup that you guys laid out is sort of projects, right? That's not to say that you guys are wrong because I agree with you fundamentally again, but I do see him still as having that upward mobility as a shot creator and as a scorer that with combined with his defensive potential, I haven't sold all of my stock yet, even though it's whittled down in price a fair amount. (laughs) I am stubbornly holding some of that still. Yeah, of course. And, and so there are a lot of teams I think that right now could really use the specific skills that TSG has on the basketball at age 21 and that's going to keep getting better for him i think of like a milwaukee uh, last year who almost stagnated some in the playoffs especially with holiday where he was at at the end of his kind of physical rope including back to the olympics and Giannis being a front court player and not always having to create and if they just had another piece to come in and take some of that usage off the bench to get into the paint to do all of that and the way that the Lakers are structured, though, not not only was it LeBron and AD, but when one of those guys were up, but but then Russ, like Russ was the biggest impediment um, in yes. a lot of ways, as Pete yes. laid out last season. And so, Pete, that's why I was going to kick it to you. So so to just entertain a hypothetical, right, if Russ isn't there, then how does THT's how does the, the skill set that he has and maybe even none to an extent, but how does that play out differently um, maybe than how last season did? It's funny you ask me this because I was going to ask you the um, the ramifications of if we were to trade Russ and not get a point guard back. And so it it's a question that leads to kind of the same place in that it pushes guys like THT and Austin onto the ball more. And I think they're totally capable of absorbing more ball handling ability. Now, is that a closing lineup point guard? No, but your closing lineup point guard is LeBron James. And that's there's always going to be a certain degree of that. Now, this, though, is uh, we always talk about dial turns. Like if you say, oh, hey, we could really use a point guard to take some of the load off of LeBron James. Let's go get Russell Westbrook. Right. Like that's a severe dial turn. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't necessarily mean like the same thing as just get a guy that can take some of the load off. Right. And then trading Russ for not an on ball player at all. Right. Which a couple of rumors have revolved around uh, around that. That's a pretty severe dial turn in the other direction, too, that plays into some of the existing skill sets of our guards. Kendrick Nunn fits into this, too. Right. If Russ were to get traded for a couple of three and D guys, we have three guards still. Even Lonnie Walker, to an extent, ran a lot of high ball screen last year. Like all four of the guys can can handle the ball. Now, are they Western Conference finals on ball type of players? 
that's the question, right? Yep. And so that's the question of like, did you turn the dial too far in the other direction? But I do think that it's an interesting hypothetical of, is there a natural presence of ball handling on the team to just move Russ for a completely different type of player and not get a similar archetype back? Well, I think you know how I feel about this. <laughs> but <laughs> I do indeed. I, yeah, I am going to prioritize that bigger three not not even three and D just defense stay on the court compliment LeBron and AD in other ways and ultimately know that if LeBron's there on my team that I want the basketball in his hands more often than not so that every NBA roster is going to have enough even if they're not of a super high level and say for example Taylor Horton Tucker Austin Reeves that's they're not at a super high NBA level in terms of creation and ball handling but but like they can do it for certain amounts of possessions, at least at least more so than the team can get by without enough wings uh, f- throughout the course of a season. So if I have to pick between the two and my players are LeBron, my two to start are LeBron and AD, then that's where I'm going to go and it just assume that I can. I mean, dude, you can get you can get guys out of the G League that can come in and have some usage for a little bit like that. That's for still sure. that's still the thing that when you go to the park, most people are going to try to yep. get the basketball. It go like that's that's still ultimately the first thing in basketball. And again, not everybody does it great or efficiently, but I would rather approximate that than uh, than not than have the big hole in the other parts of the roster. For sure. And with THT specifically, um, he is somebody that can provide some of that size and defense. Now, he has areas to grow defensively. Don't get, don't get me wrong, but he provides some of what you like defensively, Mike. And especially at a, at a guard spot where if you can heat up the ball a bit, like I keep saying, that's like your, your pass rush. We don't have a lot of other guys that can do that on this particular roster. So the question becomes if he's an on ball player on the other end, even if he's a secondary bench guy, D there's kind of a chicken or the egg question with him where I haven't seen the the type of guy that he is that's driving to the basket has to be able to make passing reads and also like pull up reads where he puts so much pressure on the rim that the defense is so on their heels that there's so many like pull up jumpers available that he's not really comfortable in a straight hard pull up. He likes to fade away. He likes to step back. I think part of it's because his arms are, are so long, but the inability to really do that well and the he didn't make great passing reads that again may have been a function of just bad spacing in general that kind of hampered everybody. But I just haven't seen a a command of drive it, the drive and kick game as a passer to be like, Oh, I want to give this dude the ball for 10 minutes a game, but it would depend on, it depends on matchups, but that's kind of the place where he would need to make a bit of a leap for me. And if he does, then all of a sudden, yeah, totally let him, you know, get some minutes running a bench group. That's the biggest leap for almost every on ball player. Mm. Like that's the leap mm-hmm. that you just described. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and um, it was centered around the rumored discussions between the Celtics and the Nets around the Kevin Durant trade and Jalen Brown being a part of that trade. And the growth that Jalen Brown has made as a playmaker and whether or not um, that trajectory is going to keep going up. And if it and if it does, then, hey, maybe you don't want to trade Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant, considering the discrepancy in age and and all of that. But, Mike, one of the things that turned Jason Tatum 
into like the player that he was at the end of the season where people were talking about him as just like, oh, my God, look at the leap that Jason Tatum's made. That leap was almost all in shot creation for teammates and the reads he was making as an on-ball player. And so I'm with you, Pete. Yes, that's exactly where the growth needs to come from Talon. He is an over-penetrator when he drives. He has tunnel vision eight feet and in about the front of the rim rather than spraying out his vision and getting a wider lens view and saying, these are where my teammates are and that's where the basket is. Because the best players who are shot creators are going to have both of that in mind and be able to make some of those reads. So can I just say as a tangent, Kevin Durant, that's a that's a trade you have to make if you're Boston. I heard a lot of, and these are from the national reporter types that I respect, but there was a lot of, oh, God, I don't know if you can do that. Jalen Brown, the youth, you got a 10-year window. Like, no, you, you got Kevin Durant for four years. You're the immediate title favorite, uh, probably the heavy title favorite if you make that deal. I'm assuming that, I'm not saying I want the deal to happen, particularly because of how uh, how good that would make Boston next year. And I, I don't know how Pete feels about it, but I want to know. I just was surprised at how many people were pushing back. I'm like, I don't know if I'm the Celtics. I don't think I would do that. It it reminds me a little bit of like when the Lakers and had all their young guys and you you get to love your young guys. They're there. But then Anthony Davis is there. It's there are a couple players in the league and Kevin Durant is certainly one of them. Uh, where you, you just got to make that kind of a move. So, so I just want to put that on the record. Would you do it if it was Brown and Smart? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't think that you have to. I think that they can probably get it done with what they had put forth, uh, which was White, along with Brown, and then a couple of picks and such. But if it were, if it got, if push came to shove, and, it, and I had to choose between them, then between White and Brogdon, I can kind of approximate Smart. And still having a point guard that is good defensively and big and physical and and I'm still winning the title. So, yes, ultimately, I would I would do that. <laughs> we will discuss this more at length. Uh, in, uh, there will be a future pod. The time comes. Hold on, yes. hold on. Does that mean you're not does that mean you're not telling me if you agree with me? Or oh, I so I am. I am very amused by this position that they find themselves in, because it's very like I can see from their perspective why they would see it being. A bit of a deal with the devil because part of why they're good is because they've been playing together a long time. This is the most underrated part about becoming a good, good basketball team. One of the reasons Golden State is great is because they've been playing together for years and yes, over yes. a quick, period of time. Quick flip side though, the mm-hmm. Lakers and the Bucks who just won the titles were basically assembled. Sure, you know. A, very quickly in the Bucks, less so though. Well, but Mike, Holiday, you, Andrew, Middleton, and Giannis, yes, to Giannis an extent, and, and Middleton, been Lopez, there a little bit. They'd been they played Lopez, together a long time. The core of that team, Lopez yeah. had been there for a while. Connaughton had been there for a while. I'm not they, continuity. They, I'm just saying they Boston drafted would, Boston would still have a lot of continuity. And Kevin Durant totally is agree. the most malleable player. Like you can put him in any lineup in any <laughs> scheme immediately, and he fits in fine. As witnessed by him joining Golden State, and then well, sure, not, they didn't have the most talented roster of all time. So what I'm curious about is if it ends up costing them either both Brown and Smart or Brown and Robert Williams, because let's say it's Brown and Smart if it ends up landing on that spot. I like it's Kevin Durant locked up for four years, right? Like I'm not going to argue hard against Kevin Durant. What I'm saying is that you fundamentally change the identity of your team. Maybe it's a better team on the other side of that, but it changes so many of the reasons why Boston was good, which in my opinion are the continuity. They were really athletic for their size and strong as hell, right? And so 
in trading Jalen Brown, he is such a handful athletically. Marcus Smart is one of the strongest defenders at his position in the league. Like, you see what I'm saying? And you trade them for Kevin Durant. You are not as strong. You're not as physically imposing. You might be better. You might be better, right? But I can see why that trade is so interesting and amusing to me is that it's a fundamental like identity shift. I think that if they trade for Kevin Durant, that is totally justifiable, right? But it is something that I, I see why they think about it. Maybe have Darius have the final thought on this one, but I think because of what their bench is and because you have both White and Brogdon, you can trade smart and still keep that identity. I would not trade Williams, though. I would not put him in that deal because he's the one that makes them that physical and athletic um, on defense. He, that's the mm. swing position to me because when, when he I think it's smart that does that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, smart from an attitudinal perspective, I, I guess, to an extent. And he's certainly valuable. He's the one that got he's the one that got pulled out as a defensive player of the year. But I just I think that defense is more important inside. Uh, and when Williams is flying around out there, that to me is ultimately the thing that made the difference in that team where they struggled, Pete, as you talked about all the time of Brown and Tatum not being able to dribble as much. Well, guess who can dribble? Kevin Durant. Guess who can get his shot at any time that he immediately makes their offense nuclear um, because Tatum, somebody's going to have to give me a three, four combo in league history. That's been tougher to defend than those two, which includes Kawhi and, and Paul George. Like, so I just, it, you get so much better offensively and defensively, you're still able to keep the identity because of the other big skilled point guards um, on the perimeter, plus keeping Williams. So I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shut that part of it out now and, and kick it over <laughs> to Darius. But I, I see that you are in more in alignment, Pete, with some of the the people that I kind of was making fun of the start. So now I feel bad. Um, uh, but oh, I no, guess we I, just disagree. I, I understand where they're coming from. I trade for Kevin Durant with four years left on his contract. I just I'm just saying from their ethos, they're very proud that they've built something. Yeah, I get from the it. Ground but up, we'd still right? do it though. That's my point. Like we can, oh, I, we love our guys, but like you still got. Oh, make I'm saying move. I'd do it. But part of what makes it interesting to me is that from their ethos of the build it from the ground up, slowly build slow, big build strong, build up a core over a um, bunch of years, and now you find yourself this close to a title, and you have a choice to make. There's a certain crossroads to this where it's like, do you go the Kevin Durant route or do you keep a good thing going? And it's an interesting decision either way. So I'd love to hear your your thoughts to wrap it up, D. I do not know. And this is where <laughs> I said this the other day about like, thank God I'm not a front office mm. final decision maker. I think that there are, the arguments on both sides are super strong. If I'm actually looking at Boston's roster and I understand, I understand everything that Kevin Durant does and I want, I want Kevin Durant on my team. Point blank. If you give me Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum, oh, fantastic. Right? What happens though when your next best player in terms of a ball handler hasn't played a full season maybe ever? And then what happens when the next like three or four out of the next five or six best players on your roster all play either power forward or center? Because that's what's going to happen if you swap Kevin Durant for Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. You basically give up your starting point guard and your starting shooting guard for a starting power forward. And so now you have you have purposefully built in a certain amount of roster imbalance in order to upgrade in talent and roster construction is 
the hardest part of the talent game because talent is talent. But and Mike, this is the same conversation we, me and Pete were having the other day that you weren't a part of about allocation of resources when your best players are like a sort of an amalgamation of a three, four five. It's like, OK, you, you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. They LeBron's a three, four AD's a four five. They're going to play basically almost all your minutes in the front court. How do you build out your team? The rest of that. And Boston would be in a similar situation like KD and Jason Tatum are both basically they both basically played small forward. Now, both can also play some power forward. Great. But now the other best player, you guys were just like, I wouldn't give up Robert Williams in that deal. Great. Neither would I. But now you have to play him and Al Horford. You just signed Gallinari and you yeah, have Grant Williams. As you your still have forward. Grant Williams. Like suddenly the majority of your best players are all three, four fives. And you're like, OK, and my best guard is Malcolm Brogdon and Derek Weiss. It's like, great. What was the last time Malcolm Brogdon had to play a full season? I'm not saying I don't want Kevin Durant. Give me that. But when I'm talking about building out a roster, I actually think Boston would then have more work to do. It wouldn't be less work to do. And that's that's a big just because I want to round out my roster in a way that I think best promotes the talents of the two guys who I now want to optimize. And I don't think that they actually have that with the roster that remains if they have to include smart. Interesting. See, I'm looking at it more like Durant is basically replacing Brown on the roster. And you can you can have Durant, and this is the beauty of Durant and Tatum. You can have them scale up or down. You can have one of them play the two, essentially. Uh, you know, Tatum can certainly defend twos. You can have them one, either one of them play the four. Two, three, four. You're you're basically locked down. You're you're in good shape there. And then the only other thing to inject this, Brown and Tatum, right? I I still think that Jalen Brown loves the concept of being the number one and loves the concept of being the alpha. And that's why Boston struggled out of the gate last year. Then he finally had to kind of accept this role as the clear number two there and just embraced it. But I don't, he's always been a little bit more in kind of like the Kyrie camp. And as he said, they're tight again, um, despite not getting along there. And he could just walk after two years. This is not a guarantee. You can't just say, Oh, Jalen Brown, he, this is our, this is our group forever we're going to be dominating the NBA for the next 10 years, which is a lot of like what the buzz has been out of Boston. Durant's got four years on his contract. Brown's got two uh, and they're going to have to pay him, which is going to impact the rest of the roster when he comes up. So I, I also think by doing this, you're, you're avoiding part of that, but uh, clearly I've established what side of this I'm on and I can now, and I can now kick back to Pete for a closing thought. It's a fascinating decision. Uh, this was a fun detour here at the end. Uh, all right. We'll be back uh, next week. Talk more Lakers. And apparently we need to talk some uh, more general NBA uh, trade rumors on this because we got a lot to say on this topic, I think. Um, but until then, everyone have a great weekend. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot that ties.
is an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.